for every time I turned my back on him. For the times I rejected the poor and hungry. For the holidays when I hurt the ones I love. For the way I judge people I know nothing about. For the days I think I can do it all on my own. For the stuff I gathered but never needed. For the times I thought I was better than someone else. For the mornings I woke up and decided to carry my own burdens. For the envy I allowed to hollow out my soul. For the excess that I secretly loved. For the silence when I should have shouted. For the shouting when I should have been quiet. For the words that cut deep. For the selfishness that I hide. For the lust disguised as love. For the way I wasted precious time. For the people I refused to forgive. For the feelings of inadequacy. For the addiction I can't kick. For the poor whom I ignored. For the laughter at another's expense. For the times I only acted generous. For the fear of failure. For the fear of rejection. For the fear of everything. Jesus died to forgive us of our past and to give us freedom, love, and hope for the future. Well, welcome to Good Friday. And welcome to our home. My desire is for us to share together and to lead you to the cross tonight. As we remember Christ's death on the cross this Passion Week, he truly has come into this world, living a perfect life, being obedient to the cross, then being raised from the dead, all for the purpose that we might have our past forgiven, our sins forgiven that we might receive love and have ultimate hope, bringing freedom into our life. And so thanks for joining us. I trust that maybe you're with family, you're gathered around. We're going to conclude our time tonight by you having a chance to um, serve communion together, one with another, and remember the Lord's death. And uh, we just invite you to reflect on some scripture as we unpack the story to remember not just the story, but to remember the substance of what happened that's behind the story that gives you and I the freedom and the love and the hope that we desire to have in our personal lives today. So if you'll join with me, I would like to just have us turn to um, the first section of scripture, which is in Luke 22. And it's recorded here of uh, the Passover feast of which Jesus Christ shared with his disciples the night before he was crucified on the cross. In Luke 22, it says this, Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus as they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. 
And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This particular part of the story is a drastic turn from what we focused on Sunday. On Palm Sunday, when he entered into Jerusalem with the accolades of him being the Messiah and the Hosannas that were being declared, all the hopes that the people had in the last few days had started to make a turn. We don't fully understand why the people turned and why all the circumstances turned, but we do know that the religious leaders of that day behind the scene were instrumental in turning people against Jesus. Before this recorded passage, we have so much uh, background and history that happened during the course of that week, Passion Week, that we can't unpack. But this becomes part of the crucible time when Judas chooses to betray Jesus. It was the evening of Passover. It says this then in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a water, a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And they said to him, he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. He gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. It's really important for us, whether you're a Christian tonight or whether you're a seeker of God, that we remember the story of what happened in Passion Week. And not just for the sake of remembering a story, but what's behind the story and what happened in the midst of that story gives you and I the hope that we have for us in our life. All of us can probably remember a picture that maybe we saw somewhere of Jesus uh, serving the Last Supper. And uh, in famous artistic versions, it's Jesus on one side of a long table and all the disciples on that side. And it's like, hey, let's take a picture. 
You know, it was funny this week as a lot of us have been doing uh, Zoom calls and doing the uh, virtual meetings. Uh, I saw one where Jesus was actually doing a virtual meeting with his disciples and all the disciples were in little square pictures on the screen. But they were there together. And a lot of times we think that what they were doing was just having a communion service. He broke the bread and he shared the cup. But in actuality, Jesus was having a full meal. He asked the disciples to go and make preparations for the Passover. As surely as on Palm Sunday, he uh, sent disciples away to find uh, the colt that he would ride into Jerusalem on. Jesus was in complete control. He knew what was going on. He wasn't uh, hopeful of these things happening if he called them out. He knew they would happen. And so he sent the disciples ahead to find a place of preparation, the upper room, the Lord's Supper, but it was really the Passover Supper. There was the coming together of the Passover the past reflected back on the Exodus story of Exodus chapter 12 when Jesus, when God freed the Israelites from their Egyptian bondage. And then Jesus taking that event and giving it new life, as we're gonna see depicted here in scripture. Jesus in complete control, he's having the Passover meal with his disciples. Around that table is the one who would betray him, Judas. And they would begin to discuss amongst themselves who might that be. It's interesting, if you keep reading in Luke 22, they actually get into an argument as to who's the greatest among them. Can you think about that? You ever gotten into an argument around your family table? I'm sure Jesus must have rolled his eyes. Really, really, here we are coming down to this moment when I'm gonna be giving my life away for the salvation of the world and you guys are bickering and talking about who's the greatest among you? They didn't really have a clue, did they? All that would be demanded of them, what it would be demanded of their Lord, what the real path to salvation is, which is not through arrogance and one-upmanship one to another, but through humility and brokenness. And Jesus would show them as he spoke earlier, greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus would end up doing. This Passover meal though was a full meal because it reflected back on the Passover that the Israelites had celebrated. It was one of the three main feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was a, a full week long event, Passover was. And it began with the preparations. And the first two days, there would be a meal called what we refer to as the Seder, the Hebrew people. And every part of that meal had um, semblance of meaning and purpose. And so there was a lamb that was actually brought into the home, the household. And that lamb would be like run around as a pet for a period of four days. And then they would sacrifice that lamb. And then they would eat that lamb. That was the main course, if you will, of the Passover meal. There were bitter herbs, there were other spices, other kinds of things that they had a part of their Seder meal that was symbolic of what happened way back in Egypt when God brought them out of bondage with the Egyptians. Now, if you go back and you remember the story of the 10 plagues, Moses trying to set his people free and Pharaoh would sort of get a head nod, like, okay, I'll let you go, and then he wouldn't. So one plague after another plague, 
And the 10th plague, do you remember what it was? The 10th plague was the angel of death. And so this was the plague whereby the firstborn in every household would end up losing their life that night when the angel of death came throughout the city. But the Israelites were encouraged to take the blood of the lamb that would be slaughtered and with a hyssop branch place that blood over the doorpost, the front door, on the top, on the sides. And when the angel of the Lord saw the blood, the angel would pass over that angel of death and the person's firstborn in that household would not die. And so they would celebrate this all these centuries later. God's provision of providing them not only freedom from the Egyptians through Moses' leadership and the grace of God, but also the salvation that they did not lose their firstborn. So the whole Passover meal had this uh, incredible um, symbolic reference back to the early days, but it really embodied what Jesus would then end up doing. And he took the Passover week and transformed it into what we know today as Passion Week as Christian believers, those of us who are followers of Jesus. And so Palm Sunday to Easter Resurrection Sunday, the whole drama unfolds. Monday, Thursday, the Thursday, the night before Good Friday, he had the Passover meal with them. And they were dialed in to what was going on, even though that there was some jostling and bickering as to who was the greatest among them. Jesus was trying to prepare them for what would happen the next day. And so then the early morning comes. Through the night, there's the trials with going to Herod and Pilate. It was a back and forth kind of deal. And the injustice that was done in those trials and eventually the declaration of crucify him, crucify him. And we come to Good Friday. And on Good Friday at 9 a.m. in the morning is when they crucified people. And somehow in the bizarreness and almost twilight zone of it all, Jesus, this perfect person and Messiah who people worshiped, ended up being crucified on a cross between two other thieves. We call it Good Friday, but there was nothing that was nice about that Friday. It was somber, it was horrid, it was wretched. But the reason we call it Good Friday is because Jesus Christ became that sacrificial lamb for all of us, for all of our sins, for all time. And he provided the one true atonement for our sins. Our past has to be dealt with. There's justice that has to be made. And that justice can only be made if there is provision given. If you had a judge today who let every criminal off the hook, say a murderous person or somebody that was an embezzler or somebody uh, that was a, a crook to the core and they came into the courtroom and he says, all right, you're good, you can get out of here. We would all go, what? That's not justice. Well, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the scriptures teach. It also teaches in Romans that the wages of sin is death. And so we have a penalty that's upon us to be paid. But Jesus took our place and he provided the atonement. He became the sacrificial lamb 
Because what they did with the sacrifice of the lamb in the Old Testament, would, that would be like a blood offering for the forgiveness of sins. And they would do it over and over and over again. A lamb, a quaint lamb, quiet lamb, led to the slaughter. The neck was cut, the blood was poured out. I was in India one time when I actually saw this happen in a, in a Hindu kind of temple area. It was, it was quite horrid to me, actually. A lamb was brought in or as a goat and they, they took the goat and they placed the goat uh, between two upright posts and then they slit the goat's throat and blood poured out. They dipped that blood and then they went and placed it on the forehead of the person who brought the animal, symbolic of a sacrifice. You see, we think of things in nice, clean environments and nice pictures, but the whole sacrificial system in the temple courts of Jesus's day was, was a pretty grotesque, bloody kind of thing. Sacrifices being offered over and over again for our sins, for our past, seeking freedom, seeking love, seeking hope. And Jesus took our place. He played our penalty. He became the sacrificial lamb. Now here's the interesting thing. During this coronavirus challenge that we're in, we're all bunkered away in our homes. That's why I'm coming to you through um, this camera lens. See, at that time in Exodus 12, they were not gathered in places of worship either. They were fearful. They were fearful for their lives and they were all bunkered in their homes, protected, protecting themselves from my, what might happen to them. And the word came out through Moses about the plague. And so they were fearful, the angel of death. Can you imagine the father who sacrificed the lamb and took the blood after they celebrated, uh, you know, uh, the need for what was happening at that time. And he went out and placed the blood on the doorpost and the angel passed over. Good Friday. Jesus, he shed his blood for the atonement of our sins. And as we're bunkered in our homes, I have a simple question to us as families. Is the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of our front door? Are we protected because of the salvation work of Jesus? It's not just enough to know about Jesus or celebrate good, the Easter weekend. We have to make a decision to invite Christ into our life and let him lead. His provision his provision for the atonement of our sin is only made possible by his blood being applied to our life. Us inviting Christ into our life, receiving him as our Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of our sins. Have you done that? I want to encourage us to draw near the cross by reading another passage related to that cross. And it's only a few chapters later, a few chapters later as it's recorded, the crucifixion of Jesus. It says this, and we'll jump all the way to when he was being led to the cross with the two other criminals. It says this in Luke 23, 32. You can read other parts of this with your family after um, this little sharing time is over. Verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out by him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, hey, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read this. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself with us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely, surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their chest and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. We've all been encouraged to do social distancing. They stood at a distance watching these things. Are you still standing at a distance watching the events of the Passion Week like a story of old? Or maybe as a Christian believer, it's become sort of routine for you. This is an interesting Passion Week and Easter will definitely be different on Sunday without us being gathered. But may we not distance ourselves from the story of Scripture and what Jesus Christ did for the salvation of our life, taking our sins upon him, being the blood sacrifice. May we cover the thresholds of our families' homes and our personal lives with his blood so that we may not have to endure the wages of sin, which is death, but that we may be made alive in him. I invite you to the table. I invite you to the table to remember Christ's death and resurrection. But his death is what's our focus tonight. I invite you, parents, a leader in your home, if you're by yourself, maybe with your friend, I encourage you to take communion. And because you're in your home, you may say, well, we don't have any communion elements. But... I'm just going to encourage you to find something in your home. That couple pieces of bread, something to drink. This is iced tea. And remember the Lord's death until he comes. Go to Luke chapter 22. Paul adds later that we're to remember the Lord's death until he comes again. And partake together 
as a family. Communion, together, remembering the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as you go and prepare and find the bread that you can break and remember his body that was broken for you, to find a cup or individual cups that you can share to remember his blood that was shed for a new covenant for the forgiveness of our sins. I want to just read for you in the background as we close. Isaiah 53, which is the prophet Isaiah foreshadowing the Lord, the Messiah, his death. Let it be the background, the words. You can read the words yourself if you want. But I'm going to pray and then I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to dismiss you to go get your elements and come back together and sit and partake of communion. As surely as Jesus tried to instruct his disciples on that Thursday night before the, sat, before the Friday crucifixion about all that was going on, his spirit can instruct you tonight, especially if you're a young child or a teenager. May you draw near to the cross and allow his life to become your life, his covering to cover your sins. And may you find new life in Christ, even this Good Friday. Indeed, it's good if you invite him into your life. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, 2,000 years ago, you were obedient to the cross. You became that sacrificial lamb. You brought the Passover and your crucifixion and resurrection together in one historic event of all times. Lord, when John the Baptist declared you in your ministry, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, when we're gathered with you in eternity as Christian believers, we will behold the Lamb that was slain and we will declare it as it says in Revelation. May we not lose sight of this image. May we come near the cross, remember your shedding of your blood, the brokenness of your body, salvation provided for us, and if there's anyone tonight that wants to receive you, may they just simply open up and invite you into their life, repenting of their sin, receiving you, choosing to live for you for this day forward. For Lord Jesus, you are our Messiah. Amen. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and he the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made the intercession for the transgressors. A prophecy 700 years ago holds true 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, as surely as that prophecy 700 years before Christ. God bless and amen.